Yeah, um, I think there's plenty of things. So to put it as, well, Simon Harris again, to give him another a mention, as he said at the end of his presentation last week, the rehab SNC is a brilliant role and you should want to work in it. Like I, I really, really enjoyed it and I truly believe that's where I've learned the most so far in my, in my career. In terms of what you should do if you want to learn about it, um, I think experiencing it is the number one thing. So, And it doesn't necessarily matter what level that's at. So you might get involved at a sub-elite level or it might be am- an amateur level. It can be any sport. But for me, learning through experiences was the best way to learn about rehabs because, there's, as you know, Jack, there are a lot of different rehabs that you encounter. And we've got a couple in our books at the moment that I've, I've never seen before. There's always a subtle tweak somewhere or there's always an added layer of complexity that you might have to deal with that you haven't dealt with before. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Podcast for AFL staff and athletes. My name is Jack McLean, I'm your host and today my guest is Jackson Dennis who's the Senior Strength and Conditioning Coach at the Fremantle Dockers in the AFL. Our key topic for today's chat will be all around the crucial role of rehabilitation, also known as a reconditioning coach in high performance sports. So if you're a strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist, anyone that wants to work with, in, with uh, high performance athletes in elite sports, absolutely the episode for you. Jackson's got a, a strong background in this specific role. So we're uh, really looking forward to a topic that we haven't chatted about in great detail. So thanks for jumping on, Jackson, and yeah, really looking forward to our chat, mate. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for the invite, mate. It's uh, great to be here and looking forward to chatting through a few things. Absolutely. And, and for the guests that aren't aware of your background, mate, do you mind providing, I guess, how you started in the industry, your passion for it? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, roles you've had in the past to lead you to the sort of senior role you're in now? Yeah, for sure. I was kind of, I guess I'm like a lot of SNC coaches when I left school, really interested um, in all things sport. And I actually started studying commerce when I started left school because I got some probably really bad advice that there were no jobs in sports science or elite sport that were really hard to come by um and I ended up doing commerce for 18 months and really it wasn't my thing so I was getting through with passes but I wasn't I wasn't loving it and halfway into that I made the decision to have a crack at sports science and do what I actually wanted to do and from there I was I was really fortunate I guess I, I absolutely loved it for one all of a sudden I was getting much better grades and just loving going to uni but I guess the turning point for me was in my second year, I got a crack placement down at West Coast. And that was probably where I first learned what strength and conditioning actually is. And I was really lucky that Glenn Stewart, who was a high performance manager there at the time, was probably my original mentor really, took me under his wing. And initially that started through him giving me a job with his private company as a speed and agility coach. And he taught me how to coach. But then from there, I did an embedded honours at West Coast, which taught me a little bit about research. Um, and then he just kept me around the club. So I ended up spending four years at West Coast, eventually two half days a week, doing some different stuff in analysis and strength and, and really just shadowing and asking as many questions as I, kept, as I could. And during that time, I, through Glenn again, I got a role as the head of strength and conditioning for a Waffle Club. So a Waffle League club, at the time I was 22, so I was well and truly out of my depth. But all of a sudden, I was leading a program in strength and conditioning, and it was really something that I'd been doing for maybe 12 months. And from there, it was really a sink or swim moment, I guess. And luckily enough, I could swim at that point in time. 
And from there, I, I did went up, went a waffle program for three years. After a year into my running a waffle program, I actually interviewed for a job at Fremantle under Jace Weber. So somehow I got an interview, but was well and truly too inexperienced. Dan Zatnich actually got that job at the time, who's now gone on to great things. And then two years later, another role came up and it was for the development SSC and I was lucky enough to get it. And then during that time, so I've now been at Fremantle for eight years and I've been really lucky and fortunate that through that time, I started in the development SNC role, so looking after the one, two, three-year players. I uh, then progressed to leading our, our rehab program from a strength and conditioning perspective and working super closely with our rehab physio, which we'll talk about later. I did that for three years, and then for the last two years, I've, I've led our strength and power program. So uh, I've been really fortunate in that regard that I've actually been able to do multiple roles within a club. And then I guess the only other thing is in my early time at Fremantle, I completed my master's in SNC as well. So... I ticked that over, and then in the last year, I've just completed a grad cert in high-performance sport leadership as well through ACU. So that's a, a brief summary, I guess, mate. Hey there, I just want to take a short break to announce that we are thrilled to present a game-changing workshop for Australian rules footballers, the practical application of elite sports nutrition for AFL athletes with renowned AFL sports dietitian Ben Parker from the Gold Coast Suns. In this 60-minute masterclass online, we'll dive deep into the world of elite sports nutrition tailored specifically for AFL athletes. You'll discover how to optimize your nutrition to enhance performance, gain muscle mass, boost recovery, and maintain peak condition throughout the demanding AFL season. This is for all ages and all football levels, whether you're playing grassroots, state level, or of course, if you're a professional athlete. If you're wanting to purchase your ticket, there's 40 left. Um, there'll be a great opportunity to also have a send in your questions and individualize your nutrition program. So if this is something that interests you, click the link in the show notes. It's also in our Instagram bio to claim your spot. Thanks, guys. Now back to the rest of the episode. That initial, I guess, advice you got, I think I got similar advice, which is it's easy yeah. to do. I guess if you look at the industry, there's a hell of a lot. A lot less high performance stuff than there is players. Uh, yeah, big time. So when you put that together with the amount of clubs there are across the country, there's not a hell of a lot of jobs. But if it's your passion, you got to go with your gut. And yeah, that's that's amazing, mate. And uh, great experiences there. It's sort of good segue. You mentioned Glenn Stewart. How he was a strong mentor for yourself early days. Yeah. Laid the foundations for your career, um, which clearly set you up for success in these the range of different roles that you've had from semi professional sport to rehab and then main group management with strength and power and there been other influences along your way that have helped shape your philosophy i guess as you've progressed yeah definitely definitely mate i've, I've again i've been super fortunate uh, i've been in the right place at the right time a few times so glenn was definitely my original mentor and a lot of my work through his company was yeah speed and agility and coaching youth athletes who were either trying to get drafted but not just in footy so did some work in development netball during that period and he exposed me to some different sports, which was which I'm really glad I had. When I got to Fremantle, Jace Weber was the one that employed me. It was my first ever full-time job um, in strength and conditioning, and he was huge for me, absolutely huge. So I've learned a ridiculous amount of him and how he operates, and there's a, there's a really good reason that well, I guess both him and Glenn have such well-renowned reputations in the industry. And then in the last few years, Phil Merriman's taken over our program. So again, it's, it's from a personal selfish perspective it's been great to work under two high performance managers and see two like, different philosophies and that's helped me develop and create my own philosophy I guess and then 
there's been a bunch of guys and girls who are around my age or around our age who luckily enough to go through uni with who have all gone on to do really good things and work in the industry so Geordie Stairs who's now Cricket Australia Liam Warwick who runs West Coast Fever Kyle Wheeler is a really good mate of mine at West Coast and I've been really lucky to have I guess peers who have been driven to, to get the industry as well so we've always driven each other and what about highlights over your career sort of moments that spring front of mind front of mind yeah. and proud of yeah I guess I look at it through two lenses so in terms of like we work in team sport game day is the best day of the week and we're all chasing team success so that's the reason that i I turn up to work and try and play my part now our machine or our system i guess to to help build us there so in terms of that when i was at a waffle program we won the grand final and when i was at subiaco which was pretty amazing to be involved in that especially so young when i look back now and then at freeman or i haven't seen a huge amount of team success but last year in 2022 we made a semi-final and we played Collingwood at the MCG in front of 94,000 and everything bar the result was amazing. So to be there and be involved in a game that was was that big, the team runner, so just to be out there having a run and that side of things was, was just really cool. Like not from a strength and conditioning perspective, but just from a, a life perspective. And then in terms of work-wise, I, I think the most value and the most reward I've got is from working with, with rehab athletes or people who have been in, in reconditioning. So and that's the reason I wanted to chat about it today. So, for instance, as an example, our current club captain missed two years with recurrent bone stress injuries. And during that time, it definitely wasn't because of me, but I, myself and our physios and our doctors worked really, really closely with him. So now to see him captaining the club, and that, that gives you a huge amount of fulfillment. And that's, that's the part that I, I love, to be honest. Yeah, fantastic. He can see why it'd be so rewarding both from a personal level and then also that aspect of what drives you, the team success. Uh, it's a, strong, a great trait to have in, in team sport. On the flip side, obviously, an elite sport becomes, you know, there's a amount of pressure that comes at times. And like Tal, we'll talk about some of Harry's presentation actually off air, the visual for it, yep. the, uh, having strong pillars because the pressure's, or the waves of pressure is always going to yeah, come. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Really well put. But uh, what have been so, sort of your most significant challenges over your career and how did you sort of grow as a practitioner? Well, what did you learn from those challenges, I guess? Uh, yeah, we, we, do, we were just mentioning off there. Simon Harris from NSWIS, who I don't know personally, but his his presentation at the ASCA conference last weekend was was brilliant about rehab processes. I guess for me, some of the challenges, um, again, have been around rehab. So we definitely haven't won all of the rehabs I've, I've worked on. Like I've worked with a couple of um, players who were towards the end of their career, and unfortunately we couldn't get them back as a as part of our high performance and medical team and we throw a lot of different things at those particular athletes but those are the situations where i learned a ridiculous amount about preparation about athletes holistically in terms of the physical side and the mental side how you bring a high performance team together to try and get a, a an effective result so yeah there's been multiple challenges i don't, I don't think there's been any athlete that hasn't had to go through a rehab so it's uh, there's definitely been challenges with a lot Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, mate. It was a good insight and it's a great segue into the, the um, key topic, which is exactly that, the value of yeah. the rehab role uh, for those that want to work in high-performance sport, I guess, from a development point of view for the coaches. But I think we'll probably go on a good insight as well for athletes listening in yeah. and what it takes to have a successful, you know, what they can control from the rehab point of view as well. But I guess to sort of introduce the topic, what, what do you believe are sort of the key components of an effective rehab in high-performance sport? Yeah, so it contributes strongly to athlete success. 
Yeah, for sure. And it'd be good to get your thoughts on this as well, Jack, because I know you work closely in rehab. But for me, everything comes back to having a process and a system around what happens, I guess, when an injury occurs. So you need to have everyone in your high-performance team and your medical team and your coaching team on the same page. So in terms of having, I guess, your philosophy as a, as a team and embedding down what that actually is, and we can chat about that a little bit later as well, I think that's really important because injuries are going to happen. And then how we actually set up our rehab processes from there um, is really, really important um, for the overall health and success of your program. So for me, I like to break it down into when the injury happens, what happens from there. So you might you have your acute management and during that stage, that's when you're getting a diagnosis. So that's when we as SNC coaches are really relying on the doctors and the physios to give us that diagnosis. That's not what we're trained in. It's really important we understand it. And I think that's a, a, an, a nice part of the process where we can learn what a scan shows and we're never going to be a radiologist or a doctor, but to give us a, a brief idea of what we're actually dealing with and trying to learn in that aspect. Once we've dialed down into a diagnosis, I think then it's really, really important that you come up with a plan. So depending on how what that injury is and the time frames, you might plan if it's a 21-day hamstring for the whole length of period up to a return to play. If it's a six-month bone stress injury, you might just plan for the next month. So that's all going to be dependent, in my opinion, on, on what the injury actually is. But then when you've got that plan together, you have to communicate it to your key stakeholders. So in terms of who they are, the athlete is, is really, really important that they're involved in the plan. When an athlete's injured, it's, it can be the most vulnerable time of their career. It's not where any athlete wants to be. So really bringing them in on the process and communicating to them as to why you're doing something or why you're going to a certain way, I've found to be really, really beneficial. You need to communicate it to the rest of the high-performance te- and medical team. Generally, this plan is put together by the rehab SNC and the rehab physio as well. That relationship is, is critically important in my opinion. Um, you need to, we need to be really integrated in that sense. And then from there, you also have to communicate it to the coaches because the goalposts on return to play can change. Um, so based off certain situations as to where you are in the calendar year. So I think once you've communicated it to the key stakeholders, then you can make a decision based off, is that plan appropriate? Do we need to change anything? And then you implement it. And then as you implement it, you're constantly, I, I guess, reading the cues and, and picking up your... Um, feedback as to how they're pulling up from sessions, how they're completing sessions, what they're showing in the gym as to is that plan on track? Can you potentially go faster or do you need to pull back? And Simon, again, use the analogy of stop signs versus give way signs. I I, I love that as an analogy as to where you're at after every session as to are you or are you just going? Do you have the green light? So that's, I think that really underpins my philosophy of how the system needs to work. But the overall thing for me is the communication in that process because you're going to bring people from and and parts of your program from all over the club, including coaches. So it's really important and footy managers as well. In, in our sport, it's really, really important that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, I love that, mate. Thanks for that going through that in such great detail. And it just goes to show how fast you probably need to act when you're working in a performance sport because mm-hmm. from the diagnosis to the planning to then communicating with the athlete, it, you know, probably wants to know everything yesterday. Yeah, 100%. percent have got that aspect to, to handle as well. In terms of like a, a successful story, like for, for those, like, yeah, if we look at the analogy of yeah, success leaves clues, for the ones yeah. that have gone really well, generally what are sort of the big rocks or the pillars that you feel like have, have worked well in those successful re- return to play where the athletes not only return to play, but they're performing really well, they're super confident and where your markers were hit 
in a timely manner and and you'd be like you have that job was well done when you look back at those yeah. ones what are what are the sort of key areas that you now after get experience you now really know you need it putting putting a lot of time and energy into ensuring that you you're maximizing that return to performance yeah i think it it comes back to your i guess your system and your plan and how well you're doing that so Marshall Stockton, who's out now our head physio, was our rehab physio during the time that I was I was working into, um, really intensely in rehab. And we used to sit down at, at the end of every day and review that day. And it's really the plan, the work, do the plan, like in terms of making and just continually do that cycle and reviewing where you're at. So I think if the most successful rehabs I've been a part of, we've just been really well planned. And we've been, and by that, where we've planned for different I guess variations of the rehab course. So where where is this going to take us? Because it's definitely not the same every time. And I think also when rehabs don't go well, if you can actually sit there and you can review what you've done and you can justify why you've done everything and you actually know that you were really planned, you had planned going into each session, then I think that makes it a lot easier from that side of things too. There's I've definitely in the past not put enough time into rehabs when I was a younger coach and potentially gone on the fly with a few things and. You, you probably get away with that all, most times, but if you don't, then that's that would be a really bad feeling. So, yeah, I think it comes back to your system and making sure that as as you describe the pillars, what are your pillars and what I what is your rehab philosophy, and then how do you come how do you come back to that when either you're going really well or when you're not going well, and and go from there. And what about the process of loading and how to load you know, specific injured tissues? Yeah, what's significant you know significance in the rehab process? Well, it's, this is actually one of the areas I, I feel that re- being a rehab SNC and working intensely in this space is really valuable as you like as you learn as an SNC coach. So, learning when is it appropriate to load an injured tissue. So, for instance, if we're if we're talking about a hamstring, how early are you going to introduce isometric load? How early are you going to return to run? When can you go from your isometrics and build onto your next stage of that rehab? But everyone has different hamstring templates, so. I won't go through exactly what ours is, but I think working in SSC teaches you, exposes you to a whole heap of different injuries. So it might be bone stress, it might be joint, it might be muscle, it might be mus- muscular tendinous junction. And building your experience of working with each of those categories of injury and then learning how to actually, I guess, stimulate that tissue in a rehab setting. Now, that's the sort of thing that we, when I was at uni anyway, we didn't work. And you learn that on the job. And that's, again, why I think being in rehab as a rehab SNC is a critical part of your development as a strength and conditioning coach because you're in those situations where you have to decide those things. And if you don't know, you go and ask the rehab physio who might be more experienced. So you go and ask your doctor and you have those conversations. And it's it's really a great learning process. Yeah, it is interesting how it's not uh, discussed in hub-formed sport or strength and conditioning bachelors, um, but it's it's a pretty popular role now where, like you said, there's the rehab physio, which I imagine there, the academic side of being a physio is probably pretty well covered from diagnosis mm-hmm. and management. Yeah. But as SNCs, that, that's probably that's certainly where I've found I learned the most is that understanding the pathology, how that should influence decision-making, yeah. uh, and yeah, your, your in-moment decisions you've got to make as well on the fly. 100%, yeah. 100%, and like the word pathology, like I think – that's something we definitely don't get taught at, at university, even at, even at master's level. When I think that's a really key area where, as SNC coaches, we we need to put our ego to the side a little bit sometimes and say, "Well, that's not where we're special. Like that's not our training. It could definitely be at a higher level, in my opinion. 
but this that's where you learn because for instance like I'd never heard of the lateral or medial aponeurosis in the sleeves before work in rehab in elite sport. And I know they've become much more prevalent now with, I guess, how scanning technology has developed and things like that. That it's really, when you think about it, us as SSC coaches, and you're actually exposed to that injury for the first time when you're meant to be helping someone re- rehab for it. Like that's, it probably isn't right, but that's what happened to me in my case. So I think that's where, again, you know, we can put our egos to the side and that's where we ask questions and learn from our physios, learn from our doctors and learn about loading those tissues. Because if you were to load someone who had interruptions of their medial aponeurosis in their soleus, the same as someone who didn't, and it was just a, a grade one soleus strain, then you're probably not going to get a successful result. So I think there's some really key learnings there as a, as a strength and conditioning coach as to when loading is appropriate. And again, that will, that helps our development as SSC coaches, just in terms of your overall philosophy of training. Because hopefully, a lot of us have, I guess, ambitions to do be, to be running programs. And if you do get to that level one day, or I'm not there yet, but I've been lucky enough to be in a, a more senior position now. You've got people who are looking after rehab, and you need to understand what they're what they're telling you. So it's all part of that process. Yeah, hundred percent. You nailed it on the head, I think. And for those that maybe haven't been exposed to a rehab coach, these are. Being in these positions is hence why the communication that you touched on is, is so critical and that relationship between the rehab physio, the rehab S&C is so critical for the product ultimately for the athlete to get yep. the most amount of care and the best program. Uh, what about gaining an in-depth knowledge about uh, you know, functional anatomy? How important is that for in the context of high-performance sport and, and rehabilitation? Yeah, well, it's very similar to what I was just saying, I guess, but for me, that's been a huge area of development over the last probably eight years that I've been at Fremantle. And a lot of it has been from being exposed to different injuries and then learning about how you can load them safely when you're ready to load them. That's not an area that when I went to university anyway, it was super in-depth. Like you do a basic level of you know what the muscles of the hamstring are and you know the quadricep muscles. But in terms of how, I guess, to rehab something intently, but also further to that, if we're working with, say, a navicular, for instance, what inserts on the, onto the navicular? And then from that instance, what do we need to avoid in early stage rehab? So um, that's one that you might learn through experience. Again, that practical example is something that I think you look, is best learned through experience, or that's how I found it anyway. And by doing that, it allows you to have, I guess, better conversations with your, with your doctors and ultimately craft a rehabilitation program that is best for the athlete because when an athlete is injured they should still be doing a huge amount of work to prepare them to get back to play and just because there's a navicular injury for instance doesn't mean that you have to deload that entire leg there's a lot of different things you can do through say it's your right navicular that you can do through that right leg but we just might not want to we might have to stay away from activating the tip post for the first few weeks or whatever because we know that that inserts onto the navicular so there's things like that that you can work around and, and learn, I guess, as you go and make sure that the athlete is still completing a a really good athletic development program. And that something we touched on a little bit earlier in terms of the role of, of the rehab coach being that conduit between high performance medical and coaching. What are some key strategies to put in place to ensure that yeah that the coaches are involved in the in the rehab uh, early on, uh, but equally the medical team, their information's being absorbed and I guess ultimately the athlete's not feeling overwhelmed with everyone hitting different angles but it's a nice clean 
uh, filter that you've put in place and, and you know, it's a holistic program, but the athlete also has got plenty of purpose. That's where it, I guess, again, it comes back to your system in terms of when you've planned out a program and then you're communicating it to your, all your key stakeholders. So you might communicate that to everyone before you communicate it to the athlete. And this might only be a matter of hours or, or a day or two. But if you, I think I've found bringing coaches into the program has been really beneficial. So in terms of communicating to them what the program is, once, once we're medically happy that what we're doing is, is sound and from our side of things, we're really happy, then we communicate to coaches. And if, say, it's a defender who's injured, you might bring in your defensive line coach and communicate out the plan, but then ask them as to how we can add football and layer in football into that program. What do they need to work on as a footballer that we can also do safely around their injury and really bring them in. So all of a sudden, rehab SSC is on one page and the physios and medical team are on the same page and so are the coaches. And when you're communicating that plan to the athlete then, and once it's all ticked off and we're ready to go, we can be confident that everyone's on the same page because we don't, we definitely don't need people telling the athlete different, different messages. Uh, they need to be given a clear, I guess, direction. And there's always, you're always going to be, I, I guess, rolling as you go um, with a rehab. Um, it's, it, just because you have 21 days or planned out on paper doesn't mean you're going to do that exact thing for 21 days. There's going to be things you have to respond to and, I guess, react to based off how the athlete um, pulls up and uh, gets through training. But if you've got a common message from all of your, I guess, your key stakeholders, then that's, in my opinion, is going to help the athlete just get to work and also feel like everyone is on the same page, I guess. So everyone's pushing in the same direction. So, Madden, and from, I guess, your perspective now being in that strength and power role, how is the three years that you were in that rehab role help shape your philosophy in the current role where you're managing the, the main group and looking after the senior players from the, you know, the healthy ones from a strength and power point of view? It's definitely it's definitely helped. I think as a common, as a general comment, it's a lot easier to keep athletes fit than it is to get them back fit. So I've learned a lot in terms of that and similar to what we're talking about in before in terms of how, how do you load tissue, when is it safe to when is load within a week, I guess, safe? And how early might we post-game, for instance, introduce lifting? When are we going to do our main legs? When are we going to do our main uppers? And where do they fit around training and your response to those? My my three years working really closely in rehab has definitely set me up to have a better understanding of how athletes can, can pull up from that. But it's also on a broader level, and again, I've been fortunate that I've done this all at one club, but during that three years, I worked with a huge amount of our athletes, whether it was for two weeks or whether it was for six months, who were still at the club. So in terms of the relationships you build when you're there and it's you, mate, one-on-one in the gym and everyone else is gone or whatever it is, those relationships are still paying dividends. And I think that's where I found it really beneficial, like the strength and conditioning side of things and the strength and power. We, you can really pivot to a performance model when you're running the, the whole program and it's about performance and you're going to have some different levels on top of that in terms of what you're doing from a I guess injury risk mitigation in terms of doing Nordics and what are you doing around your calves and that sort of thing but broadly speaking you come back to performance when you're in rehab firstly it's about the rehab and then it becomes performance and ideally bringing them back as better performance so yeah blending those together with that great relationship that or when I say great stronger relationship that you may have built with athletes when they have been going through harder times in their career. I've found that 
really beneficial for then, I guess, selling a message as to where we want to go with our strength and power program and how we're going to perform and why we're doing what we're doing and getting by. Yeah, from the, the relationship side with the athletes, and we do get that plenty of that one-on-one time. And as you mentioned, it can be the most vulnerable and most challenging time for, for the athletes. Obviously, they want to be playing all they don't want to be uh, stuck with us in a gym by themselves. Mm-hmm. But how do you find that balance between, I guess, stretching them and making sure you're challenging them when perhaps they are a bit unmotivated because it's a long journey ahead for yeah. them? And, and then also being able to support them through you know, what is a significant challenge? Yeah, 100%. It, it probably depends on what the injury is and the length of the injury um, as to where I sit on that. Um, but ultimately, we're in a performance industry. Our job as a high-performance medical team is to provide great availability to our player, to our coaches t- to pick from. So when we have an injury, our job, and we're always going to get injuries. It's You need to, in my opinion. If you don't have any, then you're, you're probably not going hard enough. But ideally, you've on an AFL list of 40 to 45 players, you've maybe got five to six at a time. So, and it, yeah, back to the severity of the injury, that for me determines how hard you, you push. But the goal is always to get each athlete back playing and available for the for the coaches to pick as quickly as possible. For me, if you are having issues with, I guess, the more sensitive side of things or supporting athletes or athletes who aren't going as well uh, or really struggling with the injury, that's where I think the collaboration as a department is really important. And again, this is another opportunity for you as a rehab SNC to be that conduit where you might go to the sports psychologist and ask them to check in with the athlete. You might go to the player development manager and see how that athlete's going off field. Is there anything else happening in their life that we need to know about? And then if you need to, there's always opportunities to pivot from your program as well. So what is going to be best for them as an individual that will ultimately help set them up for success? And I think that's where we're getting better at as an industry rather than every player has to be here for this set period of time and we're doing strength at this set time. There are definitely cases, especially with athletes who are in, in recon or rehab, where you can be more individualized because that mental load can can definitely build up. Uh, it can be a pretty lonely place rehab. So making sure that you're, I guess, cognizant of that and putting those support structures around your athletes, I, I think is important. But at the end of the day, you've still got to do the work and you've still got to set yourself up to come back and have a successful uh, return to play. So yeah, you can work around it and come but coming back to the point, at the end of the day, you've got to get the work done. So as long as the athlete's still doing that, then generally I'm pretty happy. Yeah, it makes sense. And what about the field? How how much has it sort of developed to, you know, when you were in it for those three years, but then also since it'd been in the more strength power, so I guess over the last sort of six six years, how, how, how far have you seen from a technology point of view? Well, geez, uh, how, how far have they sort of advanced in the industry of AFL uh, reconditioning? Yeah, well, I guess we're just much more objective now. So I guess we've always had dynamometers in my time. Uh, so we've always, I guess, felt like we've had enough measures. Like, But now we've, we can be very objective with all of our athletes. And generally, we have baselines as well, which is one of the luxuries of elite sport. I know in community sport or sub-elite levels, you're not going to have this. But products like dual force plates that we use, like force frames, so we've got dynamometry around hips. Um, for given guys, we've got hamstring or quad dyno. We've got base level uh, jump data for both, I guess, counter movement jumps, but also repeat contacts and more of a fast to be slow counter movement. And we've almost got an objective profile from a testing perspective. But then we've also got what do they do from a compound lifting perspective. So we're lucky enough to have gym aware. So there's, 
a lot of different technologies that all add a layer of context to the scenario to give us, I guess, a baseline of each player when they're up and going. And then depending what the injury is, we use that quite extensively in terms of getting them back to play. And there always are objective markers that we'd like athletes to tick off. And to be honest, the biggest one we use is what they do on field. So again, GPS, we're very, very lucky to have, and that's pretty common now, even in sub-elite levels. But if we had to just pick one technology to use in terms of our recons and I guess return to place, we, I'd probably pick GPS because we use that quite extensively in terms of what an athlete does normally, what what are their loads, and how do you, I guess, look back at their, I don't know, seven-day load or the 28-day load or whatever you do under your philosophy, or where does your athlete sit relative to that on their return to play? And I guess from, from the athlete's perspective, like what do you love to see early days when, you, when you're working with the athlete for the first time and you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be pretty good working with this guy. I reckon we're going to... Uh, all go. We're going to yeah. achieve achieve not only the markers in a quick quick fashion, but also yeah, there's a there's a flow to to the sessions. Yeah, like we, I think we've all um, worked with athletes who are less motivated and some who are more motivated when they get injured. So again, it probably depends for me on what the injury actually is. And I think another layer as well is how often that athlete's been injured. So you might have an athlete who's been in the system for five years and they haven't been injured. So when they first get injured, dealing with that injury is a really big deal for them and putting, I guess, the support structures around them and, again, leading on all of our resources that we're lucky enough to have at an AFL club can help. But to answer answer your question, for me, I understand when athletes get upset when they get injured. Like, it it is a big deal. It's their life. But for me, I I love it when they can bounce back and they can show that they're disappointed, but then they can move on to what's next and what's important Mm -hmm. right now. And then how can I get, how can I get going? Uh, the ones that I love working with are the ones that ask me about our plan and ask me what's next and ask me why we're doing things. And I guess that goes back to a little bit of my broader philosophy. But I think in when we're programming for athletes, whenever they ask us why they're doing something, we should have a really good answer for that. And that's relevant to strength and power, and it's relevant in recon. It's relevant when you do prescribing running as well. And I think we owe it to our athletes in a lot of ways that we have a really good reason for why they're doing something and why we believe that that's going to, I guess, better prepare them to get back to where they want to be. Yeah, there you go. That's great. A great advice for coaches as well to have that thorough thinking about why you are doing things. And then equally for the, for the athletes listening in that might be a bit shy or perhaps don't want to bother the coach uh, or the staff of the club and, and shy away from questions. It's actually encouraged about because I agree that engagement from the athlete's perspective is definitely a good good sign that they're you know motivated to do the work but but equally curious about why we're doing things and uh, i feel like we've got a good explanation or the team does then uh, they're going to be on board so yeah that's great advice mate last one on this topic before we start to wrap it up but i guess for the coach's perspective maybe the students perhaps are listening or perhaps they're interning at a club and they've heard this and they're now super eager to maybe be a high performance manager strength and power coach but now they're open to the rehab role as well what are some sort of key traits or professional development that you can be doing to help, I guess, prepare you for this role, do you think? There's plenty of things. So to put it as, well, Simon Harris, again, to give him another a mention, as he said at the end of his presentation last week, the rehab S&C is a brilliant role and you should want to work in it. Like I, I really, really enjoyed it and I truly believe that's where I've learned the most so far in my, in my career. In terms of what you should do if you want to learn about it, I think experiencing it is the number one thing so and it doesn't necessarily matter what level that's at 
So you might get involved at a sub-elite level or it might be am- an amateur level. It can be any sport. But for me, learning through experiences was the best way to learn about rehabs because there's, as you know, Jack, there are a lot of different rehabs that you encounter. And we've got a couple in our books at the moment that I've, I've never seen before. There's always a subtle tweak somewhere or there's always an added layer of complexity that you might have to deal with that you haven't dealt with before. So the more, I guess, events or the more injuries you can deal with as a, as a coach and learn for, then the better you'll be in my, in my opinion. And then from there, it's reaching out to people and asking questions. So if you're lucky enough to be surrounded by physios in your environment, then lean on them and try and learn from them. If you're lucky enough to be around doctors or, or even sports psychologists and things like that, to talk to them about what an athlete is going through during that period. And also, I guess, looping back to what we've said before, learning more about the anatomy, learning how to load injured tissue. For me, it's all about exposing yourself to those situations. And then ultimately from there, you need to develop your own philosophy on how you actually would rehab an injury. So I think that's really important in terms of more strength and conditioning as a whole, but also in rehab because there's multiple ways that you can go when when you're rehabbing. So I guess for a quick example is, are you a run first program or are you a strength first program? And I think in the AFL, there's there's differences that I know of and I've been involved in differences. And I think what I mean by that is, say it's a hamstring injury, 21 days. It's in a lot of contexts, it's safe to run at day three, four, five, six, seven, even. You might go back to back days a couple of times in some programs and lay your strength around that. And your run may be your main stimulus and you You'd be surprised, I guess, with a 21-day hamstring, how you can get back to a safe level of of run pretty quickly and bag some really good volumes between that kind of 60 to 70% um, speed range. Or on the other side, you might be more of a strength philosophy where we're only going to run every second day, but we're going to give them a bigger hit in the gym. And we want to show, we want them to show us what they can do and what strength they've got there. And we want to create a bit of a buffer. So something that um, I've used in the past is, you might want a 10 to 20% buffer from your strength gear run. So what I mean by that is if it's a hamstring injury, you might want your RDLs to be at 80% of your normal load and that qualifies you to run at 60% speed on field and you kind of work with that buffer. And that's what I mean by kind of a strength first philosophy. But yeah, I think working in in rehab and actually uh, trialing different philosophies on how you're going to rehab an injury is really, really important because it helps you develop your, your overall philosophy. I haven't heard that buffer before when it comes to strength philosophy. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I've only really been exposed to more running, running focus philosophy. With that, to be honest, just on, yeah, no, I was just going to say, just on that, we the run first philosophy to me personally right now makes a lot of sense because I think it's a, it's a great way to build your loads in ways out on the field and expose you to more context-specific situations. But you can definitely do it both ways. Yeah, yeah. I guess it goes with that philosophy of the longer you're away from running, the more you're losing, I guess, or the sooner you can bring it in, yeah. But with that, with the strength philosophy, now that you've seen both effectively, yeah. it, does it depend a little bit on, on the athlete, their training history, their, the way they play the game, where you might bias towards, okay, I think a strength philosophy is going to work really, really well with this athlete, whereas another athlete you might think, oh, their running capacity is through the roof, we're going to need to progress uh, they haven't got maybe a big history with the, with the weights. Uh, is it? Do you go off that, or do you more just think that one's better than the other? I think you. I think you bang on. Um, I think there's definitely one is more appropriate for one athlete, and the other might be more appropriate for others, as you've said, in terms of what are the demands of their position or their sport. But I think more broadly speaking, I think that's 
as you develop in your career as an SSC coach and hopefully one day we're all running programs, I think having a run first or strength first philosophy and having those chats within your department as to where you sit is a really critical part of your overall system and what do you want to do as a general rule. And then if you want to pivot away from run first to strength first for a given instance, then you might do that um, if you've got good reason to it. But as a default, you might be run first or vice versa. So. Yeah, and going back to the original question, advice for SC staff is sooner you can start, I guess, if you're working at those lower levels, obviously you don't want to re-injure an athlete, but it's mm-hmm. probably a safer place to experiment a bit more and find out these answers so then when you work at the yeah. level, you've, you've got a clear idea in your philosophies or a clearer idea, I guess. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, thanks so much, mate. Like I said, we haven't really gone into great detail about the role, but it's something clearly uh, you're passionate about, as am I, and uh, I think it's something great to share the insights and the, the impact that the role can make on your career. Like you said, it's one that you've learned the most and grown, and I completely uh, that resonates with me, something I completely understand, both from the medical side, understanding the game, the coaching side, and then, of course, you, your strength and conditioning, you really get an opportunity to individualise, which with main group management can be challenging at times. Mm. Moving over to the personal side, mate, do you have pet peeves? Anything that fires you up from an industry perspective or makes you angry? From an industry perspective, I try not to get too angry, to be honest, but I think there's a couple of, a couple of little things and another shout out to the ASCA conference on the weekend, but Shane Lahane from Sydney gave a great presentation on systems thinking, uh, which resonated a lot and more about the system, I guess, being the integration of all the parts, not necessarily the sum. And that's definitely a pet peeve of mine, especially in a high performance and medical department. If you aren't integrating well together, then that's when you can kind of end up in silos, I guess. And I think at Fremantle, we're pretty good at the moment, um, but I've, I've seen seen it different in the past. So I think that's something you want to try and avoid. Well said, mate. Yeah, shame that chat was uh, not something that you get exposed to really that often in Australian digital yeah. association, but it makes a lot of sense and something that probably we should dive into a little bit more um, as it ultimately it's how well we all work together that allows us to be at our best. So. 100%. Like every every elite sport has great practitioners, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's not many who fluke it to the top, mm-hmm. but there's definitely departments that operate more optimally than others. So I think that's a huge challenge. And again, as, as you get more senior, getting everyone on the same page and actually collaborating rather than rather than the alternative is really powerful. Absolutely. And what I mean, cool. my favourite way to, uh, to get a day off, mate, what's your favourite way to re- reset and re-energize yourself for pretty simple mate to be honest if i can if i can get down the coast and go for a run and then have a dip and grab a coffee that generally sets me up so i'm, I'm pretty happy if i can do that on my days off or on the weekends and then and then go from there anything social or hanging out with my partner i'm always pretty happy pretty consistent days you'll be able to get that in perth yeah we've oh, mate we're very very lucky over here and I, I live about i know five or ten minutes away from the coast at the moment so definitely making the most of that at the fantastic and we're recording this at the start of sort of November of 2023. For those listening in the podcasting world in the future, what are you most excited about for perhaps the next last couple of months of this year, but um, yep. also 2024, what's on the horizon for you? Well, I guess work-wise and life-wise. So work-wise for me, we had a couple of cha- um, additions and a bit of changeover to our department a year ago, so 12 months ago. So I'm really excited about where we're at as a department now because we've been together for 12 months so i think we know each other really well and we've had that first year and i think we'll yeah to, to go back to the system we'll we'll integrate and work much better together this year not that we were poor last year i just think we can continue to improve 
And then life life, mate, I'm I'm life's good at the moment, so I can't complain. And so just excited for an, another year of yeah, hanging around, mad, spending some time with my partner and catching up with my mates and family as much as I can. Fantastic. Yeah, well thanks for, for jumping on, Jackson, again. That was a great episode, great topic and something clearly that you're passionate about and have great experience in and, and thorough understanding of, of the demands of the role, but equally with the key pillars and, and and how important systems and processes are in collaborating with your team and, and ultimately building out the best program for the athletes. So clearly Fremantle are lucky to have you and all the best for the season 2024. Um, thank you for everyone that's tuned into this live chat. If you tuned in halfway through, Jax has dropped uh, gems all the way through, not just for strength conditioning coaches, but also for athletes, particularly if you're injured. You might want to share this with a mate so be able to get a better understanding of the best way to approach your rehabilitation and how it's done at the AFL level. Our next live chat is going to be with Matt Jordan, which is on the 23rd of November uh, at 10 a.m. So make sure to tune in on that one. You can watch this episode with Jackson Dennis on our YouTube uh, channel before we release it on our podcast in the next few weeks. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Cheers again, Jackson. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um, It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah, certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much 
um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest, or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.